How do your clients find you? When we ask copywriters about the number one struggle that they have in their business, about 97% of them tell us that it's finding clients. And that's true of copywriters who are new to the business and copywriters who have been doing it for a while. On today's show, we're going to talk about one solution to the finding clients problem. Today's guest is copywriter and roundtable member, Jen Robbins. She shared a lot of details about how she's grown her business, but maybe the most important thing that she talked about with us is the three kinds of funnels that every copywriter and every one of our clients needs in his or her business so that you can attract the right clients and keep them coming back to hire you again and again. We'll share our interview with Jen in a moment, but first, this episode is brought to you by the Copywriter Underground a private membership and community designed to help you hit your business growth goals faster, like hitting 10K a month or launching a new service or product or building a team. It's the accountability, support, coaching, and path you need to help you get out of your own way and build momentum in your business. Interested? Find out more at thecopywriterunderground.com. So in our conversation with Jen, we covered everything from how she got started to her role as a funnel expert and a challenge that she's running right now. We'll tell you more about how you can sign up at the end of the show. But first, here's our interview with Jen Robbins. My story um, is that I, <laughs> I've always wanted to be a writer in some capacity. Um, I think a lot of us have that where we wanted to do something related to writing, but I've also always been a very practical person. Um, I'm like an Enneagram six. I'm the firstborn of two um, first generation college graduates. So it was also very much impressed upon me that I needed to be practical when making my decision about what to do with my life. Um, so I ended up actually getting an accounting degree um, when I was in university. And about halfway through, I realized I really didn't like accounting. Um, I liked the problem solving aspect of it, but the actual like, you know, doing the work of being an accountant, not so fun, but it was right around the recession of 2008. And so I ended up going ahead and finishing my degree. Thankfully, I was able to take a bunch of electives like related to writing. And so when I graduated, I went ahead and took a job in public accounting. And I did that for a couple of years and just was miserable. I mean, you're working 80 hour weeks. And if you're doing something you don't like, like it's just not even tolerable. So I started writing a personal blog which got like no views, but was enough for me to be like, oh yeah, like this is what I like doing. So at that time I approached the company I worked for and I started doing blogging and some social media management for them. And I realized, oh, people might pay me to do this. So basically after I wrapped up a busy season with them in April of 2011, I quit my job, packed up my apartment and moved in with my parents for three months. So I kind of tried to figure out what was next for me which looks like moving into an apartment with a roommate and creating a really crappy WordPress site and calling myself a freelance writer. It was a really great experience because it kind of just like threw me in the deep end of figuring it out. I started applying to jobs on like Craigslist and different job boards. And I ended up with two pretty good retainers. I mean, but they weren't really paying the bills necessarily. I was also waiting tables. I was nannying. My biggest issue at the time was that I was so terrified people would figure out that I had no idea what I was doing that I didn't want to let anybody really know what I was doing. And I think a lot of people run into that. So I spent about two years kind of barely making ends meet, like to the point where I wasn't starving, but if I wanted to go like splurge on a cheeseburger, I had to you know bring my own cheese with me to save money. So I realized that that wasn't really sustainable. And when it really hit me was I had these two retainer clients and they both came to me in the span of one week to let me know that they were going to hire someone in-house. And I also lost my nanny job the same week because they were going to put their child in a daycare and my um, now husband proposed. So I had like all of this happen in one week and I realized that I didn't really know if I wanted to keep going. So what I ended up doing was falling back on that accounting degree, thank you mom and dad, and getting a full-time job. So I did that for about two years and within two weeks of getting hired at this job, both of those retainer clients came back to me and rehired me because the person that they hired didn't work out. So it was kind of a reminder of like, maybe I wasn't completely off track, but once I had that full-time job, I was able to focus in and start doing projects that I wanted to do, not just that I had to take to pay the bills. So that was a really great experience for me. And I think a lot of people hear stories where somebody quits their job and they start being a writer and they make this 100K the first year. And that was not my experience. I struggled for two years. 
And then I built my business on the side for two more years. I ended up deciding to leave when it got to the point where I was working like three or four hours before I went to my job. I worked over my lunch break. I worked after work. And when that was no longer sustainable, I realized it was time for me to go. And that was July of 2015. So on a different perspective is that while I was at that job, I also realized that a lot of the women there weren't really supported as mothers. They weren't able to you know, go take off an hour to go watch their kid in a play or um, take sick leave to be with their children. And I realized that I really didn't want that kind of life if I was going to be having a family for a job I didn't like. It's one thing if you love your job, but I didn't. So when I left in July 2015, it was this big decision that this is going to be what I do now. And within two weeks, my computer died. I invested in this like high ticket program. And then I found out I was uh, expecting my first child. And so it was a whole lot at once, but it was a great way to get going. And so that was five years ago. And since then, I've narrowed in a bit more. I started focusing more on different clients, kind of shifting my focus. But that's kind of how I got into copywriting and funnel strategy. It's funny to hear you tell the story. It sounds to me like everything happens to you in like dramatic weeks. You know, everything, yes. <laughs> everything goes wrong in one week and then, and then you figure it out. So, you know, before we talk about what you're doing today, I'm curious about your experience, which seems to mirror the experience of a lot of copywriters. And that is that they, you know, start as a freelancer or as a copywriter working and it doesn't really go well the first time around. So, you know, maybe they go back and have a job or do something else, but the second time around it does work. So can we talk a little bit about the difference between, you know, when you were posting on Craigslist and looking for those clients, what were you doing there that didn't work that suddenly, you know, two years later was working when you went out to find clients and to restart your copywriting business? Sure. I mean, part of it is just having a bit more experience and kind of understanding what it is that I liked doing and understanding how to do it. I mean, I didn't really have any experience going into it initially other than reading some books. Um, so there's always that. And so that builds up a little bit of confidence. But my bigger thing that I realized is that after doing my business on the side, I was able to kind of connect with other people. So during that time, I joined a peer mastermind. So it wasn't other copywriters, but it was other local business owners. And just putting myself out there in that way made a big difference. And in the past five years, seven years, I guess, since I started doing that, I started opening myself up. I think a lot of people, especially me in the beginning, I was so terrified that someone would look at me and say, oh, you're a fraud. What are you doing? You can't do this, that I didn't want to be seen at all. I wanted to be behind the scenes. I wanted to answer job board ads. I didn't want to like put my face on my website. I didn't want really to put myself out there. So it took some experience and confidence and then being able to say, yes, I need to connect with other copywriters. They're not going to look at you and say, you're a fraud because a lot of people have a similar story where they're coming in and they're doing the same thing. The truth is that this all online business thing, I mean, copywriting itself has been around a long time, but the idea of creating an online business is newer. There's not like one way to do it. So realizing that and connecting with other people was a big kind of game changer for me. That's more of like the whole collaboration community over competition. And so getting to know other copywriters, joining something like the underground or um, like a Joanna Weaves programs, just something where you're getting yourself out there and being around other copywriters is a great way to just open yourself up to referrals for one and then learning more about what kind of work you want to do. I didn't realize I didn't really know what funnels were in the beginning. And it took me working with another copywriter to realize that that's where I wanted to go. You know, mentioning that you felt like a fraud, you know, this is so familiar to all of us. I mean, I think we feel this way often. I feel this way often. Um, what would you say to a copywriter that might feel like a fraud right now and maybe is doing the right things, is connecting with other copywriters, is in a couple of Facebook groups, but still feels like a fraud and they know it's holding them back from marketing or doing something, what advice would you give them or what could they do to overcome that relatively quickly? So the biggest thing I found is that if you feel like a fraud, you're probably not because the people that are frauds don't seem to have that worry. So they don't seem super concerned that, um, that they're out there doing something wrong. So if you're worried about it, you're probably on the right track. The important thing is to, to get help to ask another copywriter to look over it. If you have a sales page you're really worried about, have somebody look over it for you. You can actually pay someone, you can have a friend. That's why like community groups are great of getting in with like a mastermind or just being around other people. But it's all about realizing that we, we feel like frauds at different levels. Like when you're starting out, you kind of feel like a fraud for just starting your business. 
And then as you kind of reach the next level, you feel like a fraud for being asked to speak on a podcast. And then you reach the next level and you feel like a fraud for being on stage with these big names. So I feel like there's different levels of it. You kind of have to get over one level to keep going, but just realize that we all kind of feel that way. And if you don't, then I don't know. <laughs> like I said, a lot of times the people that don't feel that way are the ones that are out there making making a bad name for online business owners. So if you feel like a fraud, give yourself permission to feel that way and then realize we're all feeling that way. And um, I don't know, get some experience and find your way over it because you'll be doing that again in a, a few months or a few years. So let's jump in here and talk just a little bit more about this idea of not feeling you know, ready, or I guess we've really talked about it a lot, the imposter complex. Uh, what, are you, what are you thinking as you hear Jen talk about her experience here, Kira? Yeah, well, the good old imposter complex pops up for all of us. As, as Tanya Geisler has shared with us in her episode, which we can link to in the show notes, where we really jumped um, and deep into the imposter complex and how it shows up for all of us. Um, I think it's something that we're more familiar with as copywriters, especially since Tanya has really started that conversation in our group. We've continued that conversation. So it's not unfamiliar to most of us, at least um, most of us who have been in this space for a while. I think it's something that we get and grasp, but it's still, it's still hard. It's still a struggle to deal with your own imposter complex when it shows up, especially as you're reaching a new level in your business. But what's interesting, I think, for Jen and her story is that she started her business, didn't it didn't go as well, and then she took a full-time job as an accountant, and then she ended up back in the entrepreneurial space, and then the second time, she really, she rocked it, and she's she's grown and is doing well, as, as we're learning in this episode. And so you, you kind of wonder what happens between the first time and the second time, because we've seen that with so many different copywriters. And so I think it really goes back to confidence and having that confidence that you can figure it out, that you want to show up, you want to, especially as the face of your brand, you want to be visible, you want to build your authority, having that confidence to know you can solve problems in your business and figure it out no matter what. And it just takes all of us, you know, we all hit that point at a different time, but that's what it seems like it all connects to is that confidence piece. Yeah. You mentioned that this happens to a lot of people where they start out as a copywriter and it, it's almost like we jump into the freelancing world because we're really good writers. And in those first few months, we're like, oh, wait a second. There's a lot more to running a copywriting business here than just being a good writer. And it's all of that other stuff that maybe kind of throws us off. And so we go back and get, we get that job or, you know, we, we back off for a little while, but the second time we try it, it's more successful because we know what to expect. We've maybe we've built those networks that give us the feedback that we need, or we've spent more time building the skills and not just the copywriting skills, but the business skills, you know, and, and knowing what you need to do on a sales call or what do you need to include in a proposal so that the second time actually works better for us. Yeah. And if you, I mean, we all run into this at different times, but if you are in a stage where you feel like your confidence is lacking, maybe you're showing up to sales calls and you know, you're not nailing it because you're not fully confident or it's showing up in different ways, maybe in your pricing or in your own marketing or lack of marketing. The question to ask is what, what could you do to give you a confidence boost relatively quickly? And so it could be many different things, but it could be just getting some peer feedback. And that's a lot of what Jen is talking about here, getting feedback from your copywriter, fellow copywriters to find out that you are writing well or to get copy critiques and feel confident in your writing because you're hearing back from your peers about what's not working and what is working. Maybe it is taking a course because you want to up-level your skills. Or maybe it is just doing more work and getting more experience. And sometimes that does mean going back to a job, which is not a bad thing to get agency experience or to just get more copywriting experience under someone else's brand. So I think it could be many different things. For me, early on, confidence came from building out my brand at an early stage and feeling really good about the brand and investing in that early on and also having a supportive group in mastermind groups early on, uh, which is where I met you, Rob, which we've talked about a bunch. But there are many ways to get confidence. But if you feel like you're lacking, just figure out where you can go to find it 
quickly because it doesn't have to take years and years and years to feel confident. Yeah, I think it's just important to remember that running an online business, it's a constantly shifting thing. There's always something new. There's always a new challenge. And knowing that you have permission to fail, we all can do our best. And if something doesn't work out, we can just back up and try something else. And if we continue to do that, just like Jen has shown us you know, in her story, uh, I think ultimately we're all going to succeed. So let's go back to our discussion with Jen. So let's talk about what your business looks like today, the kinds of clients that you're working with or the kinds of projects that you're working on and how your income breaks down you know, by the programs that you're creating, the clients that you're working with and, and what you're doing today. Sure. So one of the funny things is that I have one long-term retainer client. And when I say long-term, it is one that has been with me since almost the very beginning. It was one of the ones that when I... Um, got my job, it's because they took everything in house and they came back to me and they've been with me since then. So that's about almost nine years. So that's my one retainer client. For them, I do things I don't do for anybody else. I do vlogging, I um, run some of their webinars. And so that's one that I, I always have because they've been, they were there for me in the beginning and I wanna be there for them now. Um, in addition to that, I mostly work on funnels. So list building funnels or launches with my clients. Sometimes that looks like a full project. Sometimes that's a day rate where they come in and I do everything for them in one day. A lot of times that's a more collaborative process. But that's mostly what I've been doing right now is splitting up my time into like two to four day rates a month and then one project and then my retainer clients. I haven't launched my own um, programs yet. I am preparing to launch one in September, so very soon. But it's mostly been that. I did launch um, the self-liquidating offer, so I have a toolkit that's available. That was like my first thing to create myself and put out there. I think a lot of copywriters are hesitant to do something like that. We like to be behind the scenes. We like to be writing for the people during the launches, but it's been really exciting to kind of pivot that and be the person that's actually starting to launch. Let's talk about your retainer client, the one that you've had for nine years and um, and celebrate that with you because that's a big deal. That's a serious long-term relationship. So what do you think has made that work well so that you've been able to retain that client long-term? What are some of the benefits of having a retainer client like that for you just to kind of advocate for long-term retainer clients? And then how do you handle it long-term? Because your rate, your rates have gone up. Um, sounds like you're sticking with them because you really care, but how do you handle that long-term so that you're not also losing out or, you know, getting screwed over in that relationship or the way it's structured I know that's three questions, but I'm just interested to hear like the benefits of that and how it actually looks and how you manage that. Sure. So, I mean, the benefits is that even when it's been slow, because I mean, we all have ups and downs. We have months where it's amazing and the months where it feels very much like all work has dried up. So knowing that they have always been with me is a really great way to know like, okay, so the mortgage is getting paid. I may not get to have anything else this month, but like the mortgage is getting paid. That was especially important in those first um, few years. From there... It, there are downsides in the fact that they obviously pay much lower rates than everybody else. Um, they're the only person that I allow to try, I charge by the hour. And I've been trying to move to project rates with them for some things like blogging, for example, is something that I now charge them by blog instead of hourly. And so it's just kind of been, I mean, it's like any long-term relationship. I mean, truthfully, I've been with them longer than I've been with my husband at this point. And so it's about kind of having communication, but mostly having trust, like the truth is that I will go weeks or occasionally months without actually speaking to the CEO of the company. We will email back and forth some, but they've given me a lot of trust. And I essentially have a kind of a position in there that I don't really have anybody that I report to. It's been a really great experience because I've been able to kind of take control of it. And it doesn't take nearly as much time as it did in the beginning. I remember a coach telling me several years ago that I needed to fire them. I needed to get them off because they were just holding me back. And there was an element where I almost believed it, but it just, I don't know. It's just having that stability. That's almost like my, my full-time job. Like when I had that for two years, just knowing that that, that is getting paid is enough to free me up to be able to, to commit to doing things that I only want to do working with clients that I want to work to. So I think that is the biggest benefit for me is having that kind of free me up. I feel like there was one more question that I didn't hit. How do you handle it? Payment wise, you know, are you revisiting that relationship every year to talk about the structure or every six months now that it's been their trust is there? How do you handle it so that it is working for you? 
Sure. So yes, I was trying to do it yearly. Um, we had an issue with them last year where there was a funding and, and so I did not raise my rates for them last year. That's something we're going to revisit this fall. Um, so it was consistently, I was raising my rates every year. Right now, I feel like they're in it with everything going on. I don't recommend this for everybody, but because this is a long-term client, I'm giving them more leeway than I would most other clients. But again, nine years is a really long time. So um, I'm willing to, to give them a little bit of flexibility there. So clearly your business has evolved from, you know, those kinds of projects uh, to what you're doing today. You know, let's talk a little bit about funnels and the kind of work that you'd like to take on with your clients today. Yeah. So what I really kind of positioned to is working specifically on funnels. Um, the great thing, and this is something that I recommend um, when people are asking questions in the Copywriter Club group, is that how I actually got into that is that I worked with a copywriter kind of above me. So this person hired me as a junior copywriter, um, Sage Polaris, Sarah Greer. And she brought me on and I was able to see the kind of clients she worked with and the work she did. And from there, I've kind of developed my own way of handling that. And I've realized that a lot of people come to me and they want to launch something, but they haven't done the work kind of in advance. Because people come in and they say, oh, I had this brilliant idea. I want to launch this course, this program, even this podcast, something like that but they don't have an audience or they have one that they haven't been nurturing. So one thing that I've really been doing and working with my clients on and starting to teach is how important it is to create your list and like build up a list building funnel and build that audience in advance. So that way you have the launch runway to actually launch successfully because a lot of times people will come in and they'll hire a launch copywriter and invest a lot of money in this launch that flops because they didn't do the work in advance. So it's all about kind of creating this framework where you're, you have an audience coming in, you're able to launch and then keep that momentum going as you continue to launch and do new things. So being able to help my clients and other copywriters as well kind of understand that process has been a really great way of ensuring that my clients are successful and they're able to come back and do it all over again. What does this look like for you? You mentioned doing it in a day. Um, so maybe this is your VAP day. How do you structure that when you work with your clients in a day and like breaking it down, you know, maybe not hour by hour, but what, how do you structure it? Sure. So obviously we can't do everything like this in one day. A lot of times what we do in a day is um, sometimes like a list folding funnel. So they come to me and they have, let's say their quiz ready to go. And they're looking for support with like the landing page, with the emails, um, with a few other things related to that. So the way I structure my day rates is that I have a call in advance with the client. So it's usually a 30 to 45 minute call where we review their intake form. So the form that they have filled out in advance, which dives into the details that I need to know who their ideal client is, what they're actually offering here, what their goal is, especially if it's a list building funnel. My big thing with people is that they offer this freebie and then they don't do anything at the end of the sequence. So like helping them understand that that's the prime time to make some sort of offer. So we have that conversation in advance. So that way, when I come in the morning of the day rate, I'm able to dive in and get to work. So I usually write a few hours in the morning. What I'm doing, it kind of depends on the day. But if it's like a list building funnel, I usually do the landing page and start the emails in the morning. And then I have a midday call with the client where I walk them through all of the copy that I wrote earlier in the day. And so we're able to go through and make sure that I'm on the right track, that I have their voice, that everything is accurate. That way I can finish up in the afternoon and we can have a final call so that we're able to review everything. The main reason I started doing that midday call is because I, I've i never had issue until this one client and we got to halfway through the day and she's like, I, I, this isn't, I, I was completely off track. And so that let me be able to go back in and kind of regroup in the afternoon. Whereas if I hadn't had a call with her till the end of the day, that entire day would have pretty much been wasted on both of our parts. So that's kind of how that works. If I'm doing like a full launch of people, they go in and they fill in all the important details. And then I go in and kind of flush it out and make it better. And we get it done by the end of the day. All right. It's worth pausing and noting here the fact that Jen has had a retainer, the same retainer and a same client for nine years. Yeah, it's, <laughs> like that's she crazy. Said, it is crazy. It's longer than her, her marriage, I think at this point is what she said. And so this is such an important part of the conversation to highlight because especially in our space where, um, you know, we kind of go from easily go from project to project. I've done that where it's like, I'll work with you. See you later. Have a great life. 
um, it's it's rare to find any service provider who has worked with a client for this long. And it's also really cool too, because clearly it's not necessarily this huge, it's not having this huge financial impact for Jen. She's bringing in money elsewhere. She's launching products and programs, but um, having this long-term client is such a powerful way for her to stand out and distinguish herself from all the other copywriters in the space because she's built trust with one client, which can easily sell other prospects on why they should trust her as well. Yeah. It's a, it's almost a signal to the marketplace. It's like, Hey, I can make this work with somebody for nine years. You know, you can trust me if you're looking for a long-term client. So I, I, that also rang a bell with me. It, it's just, it's an amazing accomplishment. And I think Jen deserves a lot of credit for that. Um, I also, we talked about anchor clients last week with Amy and mentioned that, but having a client that trusts you totally and is willing to give you work over time is just a really fundamental part of having a business that is resilient when things maybe go bad or, you know, when uh, it's harder to track down new clients, harder to attract them to your business. So it's a really good idea. Uh, just to have those kinds of relationships that you can fall back on, even if it doesn't last nine years, just knowing that your former clients will trust you and they can come back to you and, and work with you as well. The other thing that Jen was talking about that really stood out to me is VIP days. And this is something that we've talked about in some of our groups recently and something, obviously, uh, I said it here, but they, they kind of scare me, you know, being on the hook for four or six or eight hours in, in a single day and uh, just having to be there for a client. And some of the stuff that Jen talks about here seemed like a really smart approach to VIP days that maybe I hadn't considered before. Yeah. It is funny that you and I aren't necessarily offering VIP days actively in our businesses, yet we are always curious about them and want to learn more about them because there are so many ways they can go really well and so many ways they can go wrong. And so what really was neat about what Jen is doing is that she has she has figured out what works and what doesn't and she's added the check-in points throughout the VIP day and that's something that I would definitely want to do as well and having that check-in point midday has helped protect her so she doesn't get to the end of the day and then everything is off and didn't match client expectations and you know you could have avoided it all if you had just connected and communicated halfway through and I think that's just, even if you're not doing VIP days, it's such a good reminder that we can all step it up with our clients and communicate better than we are currently doing. And again, this is something that I've had to work on because I would love to just kick off a project with a client and go away and do my thing and send them copy four weeks later. But I also know that that has led to problems. So Figuring out what those check-in points look like for you and your business to avoid conflict and to make sure that your client feels confident in what you're doing and you can ultimately have better copy, better results. So if it's not a midday check-in for a VIP day, maybe it's just a weekly check-in on a Friday where you send a short two-minute video, a Loom video, letting your client know what's happening and even asking for feedback along the way so that we can do what we do better. Yeah, it's a really good reminder that we should all be doing with our clients. So let's go back to the interview and hear what Jen has to share about the funnels that we all need. So you mentioned list building funnels. I'm curious, what are the different kinds of funnels that everyone should have in their business? And is there a difference between the funnels we should have as copywriters reaching out to our clients and the funnels that we would write for our clients? I think every business, and that includes copywriters, needs three basic funnels. They don't always need them at first, and you don't always need them happening at the same time, but we all need some sort of list building funnel. Even if you're only ever offering one-on-one -on -one services, having that list gives you someone to talk to. I know a lot of copywriters rely on referrals, and I, my business is still probably 80% referrals, but having a list is somewhere you can go and say, hey, I'm running this special deal, or I have this opening, and that's how you're able to get more clients coming in. If you're launching something, obviously you need the list to, to start building up so you have people to sell to, whether it's products or services or um, programs. So you have a list building funnel to make that happen. And then you have a launch sequence. So again, even if you're a copywriter, you could be launching a new offer, a new way you're, maybe you're offering day rates for the first time. 
So having that kind of launch sequence in place, you're able to make it happen. Now your launch is probably going to look very different than someone who's launching some sort of group program and they're going to want a whole webinar and follow-up sequences and all of that, but you're going to want some version of a launch sequence. So the third funnel is the evergreen funnel. A lot of times this is like something like the self-liquidating offer. So it's having um, a lower ticket offer for your audience. So that way they can come in and buy your templates, your toolkit, whatever it is that you're wanting to offer. For other clients, it could be them selling a course on evergreen. There's different ways of doing it, but just something that's kind of always running in the background in addition to your list building funnel. Again, that's something that I think people need down the road, but it's definitely part of kind of the three funnel framework that I think all businesses need. So then as a copywriter, out of the three funnels, I should attack attack. Which one should I get first? The list building funnel is most critical to copywriters, would you say? Yes. The list building funnel, I think, is the most essential for any business owner to be starting on, copywriters especially, because we are very much the cobbler's kids with no shoes. So we know what we need to do for our business and we tend to not do it. So focusing on creating a list building funnel and what that looks like is having some sort of free offer, could be a quiz, could be a free template, swipe files, whatever it is, and then having an email sequence. And that's just warming people up to you, getting them to know you. I know as copywriters, especially when I was first starting out, I didn't know what to say to people. Like, was I talking to other copywriters? Was I talking to my clients? You do kind of have to make that decision. But if you're only doing services, then you're probably talking to your clients and it's okay to do that. So you want to be choosing who your ideal client is, creating some sort of offer for them, and then having an email sequence. And at the end of that, for copywriters especially, that could be getting on a call with you would be the final call to action that you make. That way you can get on a call with them and see if they're the right fit. If you're new, that's a great way to kind of do research and see who's getting on your list. That wouldn't be sustainable long-term as your list grows, but it's a great way to kind of get market research happening in the beginning. Okay. So let's say I have my list building funnel in place. And now I want to create the launch sequence and the launch funnel. Um, You know, I get what you're saying. Like, this is very different than launching a huge program or scaling. But for a copywriter who's focused on selling one-on-one services, what would you recommend for that launch sequence? What should that look like? So for a launch sequence for that, it's going to be a lot more relaxed. Like if you're doing day rates, I would start introducing the idea of the day rate. Um, So it would be more like probably a three to five email sequence of introducing this sharing success stories. I think that's the biggest thing I found that people are missing in launch sequences is they get into it and they either want to like just do the facts and they want to say like, okay, this is what you get. And people tend to overlook the fact that people that are reading the email don't really know what they're talking about. Because it's easy for you to come in and say, okay, this is my day rate. It's this price. This is what you get. But they don't actually know the process of it. So making sure you're explaining it in kind of a story way and then sharing a success story of, you did this day or it was someone and this is what they got out of it. Ideally, you would use actual conversions like they launched or they grew their list by this much or, or how whatever it is, but making sure you're including those aspects. So like the process of working with you, whatever the service is, the price of it, a success story, and then making it very clear what exactly they're getting, what the deliverables are. Yeah, I like that you mentioned stories. I'm wondering, are there other things that you do as you're building these out for clients to make them even more engaging? Because it, it's so easy to get inside a funnel. You know you're getting you know, a, an automated sequence or whatever and lose interest at some point in the thing that you actually signed up for. How do you keep people engaged all the way to the end? Yeah, I mean, storytelling is, is the big part of it. Um, I mean, that's part of our job as a copywriter, right? Is to, just to make things compelling even if it's like a super dry topic. And so making sure that you're incorporating those stories. So using it like for a client, if they hire me, I try to I try to listen if they're on podcasts, um, watch some of their videos, kind of get in there and get their, their stories. So I'm able to use those in the emails. In my intake form, I kind of ask them like, what is a story from your childhood? Like trying to get a few ideas of how we could do that because people want to know you. Um, so for an example, in the Copywriter Club group, someone posted that they were going to be interview- interviewed by you guys next week. And they were asking for advice on how to make it a good interview. And I would say 90% of the people said, tell a good story. Because that's what people want to hear. They want to hear the time that you totally failed and how you came back from it. Or the funny story about how you completely wiped out walking on stage and how you were able to overcome that and become the copywriter for whoever it was you were speaking for. So making sure you're using those stories in a way that is still selling. It's about making that transition and making sure you're hitting it. But 
yeah, stories is stories is what draws people in. And so you have to make sure you're you're adding that in as well as giving them the actual details because you can't be all story and no facts. So, okay, I'm going to jump in here because this idea of storytelling is one that I've thought about a lot. I've written, we've included it in our persuasion course. I've written a little bit about it in my book. And it's something that I think we as copywriters, we sort of know this idea that stories are important, but then we start explaining things and using data and information, and we don't always contextualize things in stories. And I think it's really important to remember that stories do a couple of things really well. Number one, when we tell stories, uh, it basically creates a release of oxytocin in our brains that makes us feel good. And there, I'm sure, all kinds of evolutionary reasons why we have this. Oxytocin is known as the love hormone because we secrete it when we are having sex. And we also secrete it when we're, we're telling stories and when we're hearing stories. And so uh, it has that effect of bringing us closer to the people who we're sharing these stories with. And so that's one reason to, to tell stories. But there are other things that happen too in your brain, in the language processing centers where uh, we process stories instead of just you know information like say baseball or you know coffee cup when you start adding things like sensory terms like you know the dark roast coffee so you start to get a sensory idea of what that might smell like or what it might look like or through the ball so you're seeing motion and activity and mobility uh, that starts to activate other parts of your brain and when we hear stories it doesn't just activate the parts of the language processing centers, but also the frontal lobe where we process things like motion and the things that actually happen to us. And when scientists look at the brain, hearing a story with fMRI technology, they've realized that hearing a story activates the exact same parts of your brain that doing the things that you hear in the story activates. And so they've concluded that there's almost zero difference between hearing something and actually doing it. And so hearing a story about your prospects succeeding or, you know, your, your customers getting a transformation in their life can be a really powerful way to communicate the kinds of things that we want to communicate in our copy. Okay. So while we're still talking about funnels and creating them, I'm curious, how do you price your funnels? What are you charging your clients? That's a great question. So it really depends. So if they're coming at me for a day rate, as of today that we're recording this, my day rate is $3,000. Um, I'm going to be raising that. So for projects, usually a list building funnel starts around 4,500 to 5,000 and launches start at 7,500. So kind of what's included depends on what they need. If we're talking about like, if we're doing a webinar and we need like pre-webinar and post-webinar and promos, it probably goes up from there, but those are kind of my base rates. Uh, for your day rate then at 3K as of right now, how do you sell it and position it? Because I think you're right before mentioning just oftentimes we forget to talk about um, what the process is and what our clients will walk away with and the benefits of that. So how do you position it on a sales call? Yeah, so usually I find people choose on the day rate. They're either coming to me because they're in a time crunch or a budget crunch. So if they have a time crunch, then the day rate is a great way to like get it done quickly. Um, I can kind of push the project into a couple of days and make it happen. Or if they're budget conscious and they can't afford to hire me, say, for a full um, project, they'll come to me and I'm able to make the day rate work. So again, I give them kind of homework. So they get the sales page um, kind of framework and some email frameworks and they go in and fill it out. So I'm able to come in during that day and finish it up for them. So yeah, usually it's either budget or time. Um, and that's kind of how it's worked for me. What people really like is the process of being able to kind of see what I'm doing throughout the day. I mean, I don't like let them sit on a Zoom with me as I sit there and write, but having those check-ins, um, I found is really helpful because they're able to actually like see the progress being made and kind of be involved, but without being too involved. All right. I have a couple more day rate questions. So day rates versus your long-term projects. What is your breakdown now? Are you doing mostly day rates? Um, do you have a rough breakdown of that split? Yeah, I mean, my ideal month would be one project and like two to four day rates. So that doesn't always happen. Sometimes I have like two projects happening. Sometimes I'll do more day rates. So it just kind of depends. And it also the projects, I typically will do like the full launch or, or full list building funnel, but occasionally I'll have people come to me just for the emails or just for a sales page. So if I had something like that, I can juggle a couple more projects, but I try not to have more than two projects happening at one time, just because it, 
my brain can't do too many things at once. So having those going and then day rates to me, I, I'm they're like singular. So I'm able to kind of shut that off and not be worrying about them like I would a project. And then last question about this day rate for you, you know, day rates are intense. I've done some of them where they feel like they're, they can be a little bit too intense for me. Um, how do you structure it so that you are doing your best work and you have some breathing room? I know you, you mentioned how you structure it. So you have this midday connection with the client, which makes complete sense. But how are you doing it in a sustainable way so that it isn't, you don't dread them and it feels exciting and maybe even fun and you create great work during that day? Yeah. So trying not to do more than one a week, um, unless it's the same client and we're trying to like do things back to back, but I try not to do more than one a week because they, they are intense. Making sure I give myself breaks because it would be easy to just sit down at the computer and like work all day. Like I'll, I'll door dash food. So I'm not actually getting up and having to cook, but even just making sure I stand up and just move a little bit is really important to my well being. Um, and then on top of that, one thing that I really like to do is making sure that I'm, I mean, I'm prepared in advance. So I do, it's, it's technically a little bit longer than a day because I'll do that call in advance and I kind of prep the night before to get myself in, in the headspace to do it. But I also thrive on pressure, obviously, by the way I kind of respond to things and like I kind of have big stuff happen and then I, I respond well. So to me, like having that time crunch and that pressure is how I thrive. So I almost like them better than trying to do like a long-term project that dra draws out. That's why I kind of got away from website copy because those projects can last for months and it just drives me up the wall. So having a day rate makes sure that it's it's compartmentalized and I'm able to like put it in that little day and then move on. Yeah, day rates are nice that you can move on, but man, the intensity of the whole day is the, the thing that would drive me crazy. It's why I don't do day rates myself. But so we've talked uh, about the kinds of projects that you take on, the day rates that you do, you know, how you serve your clients. You also mentioned that you were working on uh, another product that you haven't released yet. And I know we would usually wait to the end of the podcast to ask about this kind of thing, but tell us a little bit about what you're working on and what you'll be launching in your own business here in the next uh, month or so. Sure. So I'm going to be launching a group program. Um, I'm choosing to do it as a group versus like a course because I, I want to be a little bit more hands-on. As I've gotten into doing more funnels, what I've really liked about funnels is the strategy and helping people kind of decide what they're offering, how to offer it, kind of how to structure it, and then how to launch it. So my group program is going to be helping people, maybe for the first time, or people that are coming in and they haven't been able to really do it successfully. And so it's going to be a three-month program where we're able to come in in that first month and we create the list building funnel together. So when I say that, I'm not writing the copy, but I'm coming in and helping them structure it, structure their freebie, what they're going to be offering at the end of it, actually creating kind of how the strategy is going to work. Do they need a quiz? Do they need a toolkit? Whatever it is that they're doing. That way, by the end of the first month, they're able to get that list building funnel up and running for the next two months as we continue to work on what they're going to be launching. So the goal here is that they'll be able to launch in January and they'll have basically three months of list building up and running in the background. So that way they have a launch runway ready to go. And so they can successfully launch in January based on the strategy that we put together. And then some of my frameworks of like writing the copy and then having some tech and some other people come in to speak to them. But the big thing is being able to launch in January if you've never launched anything before or you're still a little bit unclear on, on how that works for you. Who is this for? Who is this perfect for? This is perfect for anybody that's kind of looking, especially service providers who are looking to maybe get out of just offering one-on-one -on -one services. So people that are looking at offering maybe their own group program or their own course or even their own like actual kind of digital product or even physical product because I know we have some people that have created some really cool products that are copywriters. So something like that that you're wanting to like formally launch would be a really great fit. So it's going to be a lot of service providers and digital educators. Okay. And then do they need to have the idea and the concept created before joining and starting where they're like, this is the product that I'm going to put out there? Or how far along do they need to be? I think you need to have some ideas behind it. So you need to kind of know like, are you wanting to do a course group program? Like who are you wanting to reach? But it doesn't have to be kind of fully fleshed out. I really like helping people. And I found a lot of copywriters do this when someone comes to us and like, okay, so this is what's on my sales page. And you're like, wait, but, but what are you actually offering? Like, what does it look like? What are your deliverables? So like, that's the stuff we can figure out, but you need to have kind of a general idea. So if you're a copywriter looking to 
pivot to sell like a good group program? Are you going to be teaching other copywriters how to write copy? Are you going to be teaching business? So kind of that idea. So like some general ideas, but you don't have to have like everything nailed down. And I would love to hear what's happening behind the scenes for you, especially you mentioned this is your first group program that you're launching as you're building out your funnels. What does it take to launch it for you? What, what's happening right now? What are you focused on over the next few weeks to get this up and running? Sure. So what I've been doing is working on building my own list. Um, again, I was that cobbler's kids with no shoes. So as of like a year ago, I had basically no list. I had like 25 people. So my list has grown. It's about 300. And I'm hoping to at least double that by the time this podcast comes out. Um, and I'm doing that with like two different list building funnels. So I have a quiz that runs on my website. And then I have a challenge that's going to be running as well. So those are kind of two ways that I have people coming in. Um, the challenge, the first list building funnel I ever created was a free challenge that I did last year. And it was a very meta way of like, I built my list building funnel by creating a challenge for people to build their list building funnels. And I was able to double my list. And then I did it again in spring and doubled my list again. So that was kind of a really great way of setting that up. So yeah, my biggest focus at the moment is to work on growing my list and kind of starting to get that visibility. So it's basically starting down the launch runway. So that way, when I'm ready to launch, I'm going to have everything in place. So it's also me starting to write sales pages and emails and starting to get it all lined up. And as you get ready to launch, uh, are you running the same challenge again? I Yes, I will be running. It'll be a little different. You won't be like seeing me doing my own list building challenge on the back end, but it will be me teaching how to build your own list builds, uh, sorry, your own list building funnel. So that is going to be launching mid-September. So you can always go to that and learn how to build your list. So we'll be talking about like what kind of freebie you should offer. I have um, a workbook that people can go through that's going to help them understand like, okay, this is, these are all the different kinds of things I can do. And then help them understand what emails they need. Because basically you need about five to seven emails in your welcome sequence. And so I kind of walk through the order, what you're going to be doing in each email. And then finally, like what your final offer is and how you're able to take that and kind of jump off into eventually doing some sort of launch. So as I've listened to you talk about your business, you know, you've got a retainer clients, you've got projects that you take on, you do day rates, you're building this new product that uh, may bring in some revenue, you know, without client work. It feels like you're doing a lot of things right in your business. What's, what's the thing that you're struggling with? You know, what is the thing that's not working right? Giving up control. So I've tried to hire a VA like three or four times and they'll usually work with me for about a month or so. And then I just don't give them work to do. So my biggest issue is that I still do everything myself. I still kind of micromanage. Like I built my own website. I do like, I respond to my own emails. I do my own scheduling. Like, everything is basically me. I do okay when I like, I one off outsource things. So I had someone help me set up my member vaults. I had someone help me with some branding, like I hire photographers, but like actually like getting daily or at least weekly support is a big struggle for me. I don't like to turn things over. I want to do it myself because I'm very much that like group project person who if you wanted it done that I knew I had to do it myself. I couldn't rely on other people. And so that is where I could be better in my business is starting to kind of let go of control and get support, especially as I start to get busier and, um, head into another phase in my family. I'm expecting a baby in February. And so like, I know that I'm going to be needing to pass some stuff off. So that is my biggest struggle at the moment. What are the things that you have invested in or the things that you've done in your business that have made the biggest difference over the past eight years? Yeah. So one of the biggest things that I've done is starting to invest in more of like the group program mastermind feel. Um, in the beginning, I did a lot of courses and I think those can be really helpful, especially as you're newer doing something like copy school by Joanna Wee, where you're actually learning the nitty gritty of like, here's how to write a landing page can be amazing. But what really made a difference for me was starting to connect with other people. So joining a mastermind with other business owners and being able to connect with them and hopefully we'll someday be able to go to in real life events again and investing in stuff like that, going to San Diego and meeting all of these amazing copywriters that I've been seeing online for years was really important. And just being in that room where it happens and seeing the people speak on stage, there's just something that is so special about being in that area. And it kind of gives you a little bit of lift of like, oh, I'm here with them. Even if you don't feel like you're on their level, like you're there with them. And so joining a mastermind or something like that is kind of another level of that. Not everybody can join like a high-end mastermind in the beginning, but 
just even a pure mastermind with other copywriters is a great place to start because it gives you people to talk to and to kind of lean on when you have that nightmare client who just will not stop emailing you and someone who can tell you, hey, like you're doing okay. Look over that sales page that you're worried about. Um, to me, that's the biggest thing. And, and sometimes it's investing money. Sometimes it's investing time. But just finding a way to connect with other people is is really what made a difference in my business. Yeah. What else too? Like beyond that, because Rob's right. You know, you've been doing this for eight years. You've had a lot of success. And so, what else beyond the masterminds and, and connection and going to events, which it was you know so good to meet you finally in March too in real life. Um, what else would you say really helped you helped you up level over the past you know few years too? Everybody says narrowing down, like niching down, niching down, however you want to say it. I resisted it for a really long time. Um, I remember, I think it was maybe first when the Copywriter Club started, I was still working with, I had like two clients. I had kind of the online business owners, solopreneurs, and then I had like startups and um, SaaS companies. And I was trying to do both. And I, I had someone I was working with and she's like, well, you can have two websites or you can have, like, there was really no way to make it happen. So finally saying, okay, I don't really like working in these larger companies. I don't like having to go through like 14 different levels to get approval. So like finally choosing to narrow down into the online business owners and solopreneurs, I think was a really big thing for me. And then letting go of things that I didn't like doing. Again, like website copy, I realized I just, I don't like it. There's just something about it. And there are copywriters out there who love it. And so it's not fair for me to like take on these projects that I don't like when there are other copywriters who would love to take that on. So finally narrowing down and accepting that I don't need to take everything that comes in and sending things like that to other people has been really helpful because there's some sort of like good vibes and stuff there that like, whether you believe it or not, like, you know, when you stop to let someone in in front of you on the highway and then like you're able to get in, like there's something about that where you give and you get. And so realizing that if I'm passing stuff along, stuff comes back to me. It was, it, that's been a big thing too. And maybe this is connected to that thought too around, you mentioned it earlier and we've talked about it in the past, collaboration over competition. And, you know, we've touched on it as far as like, yes, community, yes, masterminds, but how did that influence your mindset? You know, I feel like for you, it's been really important and critical to your growth, changing that mindset so I'm just wondering like what you have to say about that piece of it and how you worked through that mindset change and the benefits of it. Yeah, it was, a, that was a really big thing was like finally being able to show up in copywriting club groups or just like really anywhere and say, okay, I am a copywriter and being seen and known as that, especially by people that I respected. I guess one story I'll tell is that it was summer, yeah, June 2018. And I had a client who came to me and it was the biggest, biggest package I'd ever sold. And it was a lot of money, but it was a lot of work. It was way too much work to commit to. And I committed to doing all this before I went on vacation. And this was like a huge Disney World vacation with like my parents and my sister and her family and my husband and I and our kid. And I knew I couldn't get it all done. So I got as much done as I could, went on my vacation, came back. And this client had like completely like changed her mind about everything and basically told me I was horrible, that I had conned her out of all this money. And so I had kind of a choice in that moment of like, do I just like shut it all down? Like, am I done? So what I did instead is I went into the copywriter club group and I was like, can someone talk me off a ledge? And so I had, I was always afraid of like getting my copy reviewed. Like I still don't love it, but I went in there and I was like, okay, here's a sales page. So I had several people Kira, you were one that looked over it. Um, I think Tarzan K did. Yeah, you took a look. I, this was your, This was a couple years ago. Um, but you looked at it. Tarzan looked at it. I think Ray Braddock looked. There was a bunch of people that looked at it, and they came back. They're like, "Look, like it's like it's a draft because you were working on it, but like you're not terrible. <laughs> like it's the client." So that to me was a big moment of being like, "Okay, I've got to put myself out there because if I didn't, I really would have probably just shut my doors and let that one client." erase the six years or whatever I had before that because we have a tendency to like let the negative override the positive so that to me was a big moment of being like okay I have to reach out to the community because I had a community I didn't I don't think I realized it but it was there when I was willing to say hey I, I need someone to look at this and, and talk me down 
I kind of feel like we should all have "You're Not Terrible" on a post-it note on our monitors, <laughs> or maybe printed on. T-shirt, <laughs> like, like, like in parentheses. No, really, you're really not. Yeah, you're not. Just as a reminder for for the times when that that happens to all of us. So, um, Jen, I'm you know as again as I've listened to you talk about your business and all of the things that you do, and and you're a mom, and uh, you've got your programs coming out, and you're going to have a baby, you know, next spring. Like, how do you manage your time so that you have time to actually give to your clients or to work on your own projects or even to give to your family? What do you do so that, you know, you can organize your time well enough to get it all done? Yeah, I mean, that's probably another area that I could always be working on. Um, I tried for a while. I know in, um, I, I, I mean, I, I've talked about Joanna Wee, but I did one of her programs and she's very much like you pick a day, like Monday is marketing and Tuesday is client work. And you, you divvy it up that way. And I tried, I really did, but that just is not practical a lot of times. I think especially when you have small children, because you're just trying to fit things in, especially, I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic and right now, like everything is feels like it's changing daily. So for me, it's just kind of trying to plan ahead as much as possible, but also being flexible. Like I, I'm trying to not be as like type A, like make sure it gets all done. Um, because I have a tendency when that happens and things kind of fly away, then I, I spin out and I'm not able to do it. So taking it day by day, trying to plan out as much as possible, like day rates I'm able to plan out. And I think that's why I like them because I can say like, especially to my husband and to like the people around me, okay, this day, this is what I am doing. Like I can do stuff the days around it, but like I am unavailable from like 8am to 5pm this day. So I think that's why I like those so much because a project can kind of like, I'm able to like fit it in here and there and it can kind of feel like more work. Whereas a day, again, it's compartmentalized. It's all in one day. So also making sure that I'm not over committing, it can be really tempting to take on every project that comes to you. Um, And in the beginning, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but as you grow and you have less time, choosing what I do. So doing, keeping it to like the one project, a few day rates and not overcommitting myself is, is huge. Um, and then also getting help as much as I can. I know that I said, I'm terrible about getting support and I am for some things, but like hiring a housekeeper was a big game changer for me a year ago. Cause that was something I was able to let go of, um, using something like, I don't know, some sort of like food subscription service is a great other way of, of making that happen. I know, especially as moms we are trying to to do it all. So just finding little ways, because the support doesn't have to be business related. Sometimes just having that someone come detail your car for you is something that can impact your business because you're no longer worried about that. So I think that's kind of how I've been able to try to do it all. And just realizing that I only have so many hours in the day and also realizing this isn't brain surgery. Like no one's going to die if I don't answer the email at eight o'clock at night. Like they can wait until tomorrow (laughs) was a, a great way for me to like finally shift my mind of like, oh, there's there's no real coffee emergency. Like you can just go to bed and deal with it tomorrow. So I want to circle back to the beginning and your background in accounting. Uh, what lessons did you pull from working in accounting for, for years that have made you a better copywriter, a better funnel strategist? Uh, especially I'm interested in those lessons for, for the rest of us who don't have that background in accounting. So we can pull from that too. So the thing about accounting is I think everybody assumes it's a lot of math. I'm like, sure, there is math. But to me, it was a lot more problem solving. Um, I did some auditing, but I mostly worked in tax. And a lot of it is like looking at people's like previous tax returns and like the stuff they have coming in and like figuring out how to like have the best strategies of like minimizing their taxes in a legal way, but also making sure you're like you're following laws and like staying up to date with everything. And so to me, it was like, you come in and you see this big bag, like literally half the time, it would be a bag of just stuff. And I mean, I'm talking, these are like high net worth individuals and they're still bringing it to you in like a hat box. Um, and so like kind of being able to sort through that and, and sort through the mess and put it all back together again. And that's been helpful to me, especially like on the funnel strategy aspect of it is like when I get hired and I come in and I see this, the service provider, or even some copywriters that have, they've kind of patch things along the way and they have this like tangled web of of funnels and email sequences and like things that dead end and being able to like separate it and then put it back together that i think has been really helpful and then that just being able to like understand the terminology when people are talking to you about like profit and loss and and that and and being able to use it in my business um has been helpful because i hired a cpa for the first time two years ago i was doing it all myself and it's helpful to have that like business background 
Um, but yeah, I think that the problem solving aspect is, is the biggest thing that I took away from accounting. I love that. That's a, a phenomenal takeaway and something, you know, that we as copywriters probably ought to think about a little bit more. We're not just delivering copy or, you know, words on a page, but we're actually trying to help our clients solve really big problems in their business. And the more we can do that, the more valuable we are for them. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, I think in the beginning, especially it's tempting. You're like, okay, here's your copy and run away. And so that, and that's kind of what day rates can be like. And so that, I think that's why I'm trying to do a little more of the strategy aspect because that is helpful to them because you have this amazing copy, like now what do you do with it? Sometimes I think that's the missing piece there and that's why people need the strategy aspect in addition to just the copy. So it was surprising to me to hear from Jen that back in 2018, she was ready to toss in the towel and potentially just give up on copywriting because of a bad, you know, a client gone wrong, right? Something didn't work out well in the project and um, caused Jen to question whether or not copywriting was really her path forward. And it, it was great to hear that because I didn't realize that she had posted in our Facebook group in 2018 and mentioned what happened. And I guess I had commented back and she mentioned Tarzan had commented back and gave her some feedback and helped her, helped her realize that it wasn't, it wasn't her. Sometimes things just go wrong and we just have to fix them. Or sometimes we, there are, there is such a thing as a bad client, even though we're not supposed to say that. Um, and so it was really cool to hear that, not because I needed kudos. I don't remember that, but it's just good to know, especially in the communities that we're in, that um, people, people rely on each other and we need, we don't need to, but we can support each other. And you never know when someone's having a really rough day or when a client situation feels so big that it's about to cause a copywriter in our community to just exit the game or even hit pause for a couple of months and maybe even set their business backwards. And so I think to me, it's just a reminder that, um, you know, this community is all about paying it forward and, and like giving some and getting a little bit back. And we can do that by showing up for each other, which again, I know it sounds very kumbaya-ish, but Jen shared a real example. And so how can we do that for each other? It doesn't have to be in a Facebook group. If you're not into Facebook, it could just be simply supporting the copywriters in your network. And whether it's in other communities or just by reaching out to them and keeping in touch with them, because <laughs> this space that we're in can get lonely, as we all know. And we do rely on that support from each other. Yeah, the fact that that was in our free Facebook group uh, is really compelling too. I mean, obviously there are all kinds of groups for copywriters and we would encourage everybody to find their place where they feel you know the best fit. Sometimes that's a free group. Sometimes that's a paid group like a mastermind. And I know we talk about masterminds all the time. We're always mentioning our think tank. And part of that is because we believe in it so much that, and we, we have seen the transformations that can come from that. Um, but when it comes to a mastermind, there are all kinds of options out there. And I think the really important thing before you choose to join a mastermind or a course or even hire a coach is to be very clear on what it is that you're looking to get. You know, if the mastermind is focused on building authority, but you're not necessarily needing authority, you need help with your copywriting chops or you have, uh, you know, maybe um, business operations needs, then that's, that may not be a really good fit. So be very very clear on what you need. And then I guess the second thing I would say is that before you choose, make sure that the person who is leading the mastermind or the people who are in the mastermind are doing the same kinds of things that you want to do and that they've had some success there helping other people uh, do the kinds of things that you want to accomplish. Because again, you're, you're trusting them with your time, uh, with your attention, probably with money, and it can make a huge difference if you connect with the right people. Yeah. And we don't just talk about it repeatedly. <laughs> without actually doing it. You know, between the two of us, we've joined several masterminds. So we do join intentionally knowing what we want to get out of it from the beginning so that it's not a waste of time or a waste of money. And I just want to circle back to what we were saying about Jen and asking for help in the Facebook group before we close that out. What's really cool about that and how Jen had asked for help in 2018 is now she shows up regularly in a variety of different groups and communities. And she's mentioned that she'll just jump in and answer random questions and just kind of like give long, elaborate responses because she felt that. She felt the impact it can have to hear from 
your peers and your colleagues when you're struggling and you really need that support. And so now it's just part of how she runs her business and how she shows up. It's, it's just part of how she continues to give back. And I always love to see when she pops into groups and answers because she, it's, it's something that she actually does today. Yeah. And she's not necessarily an exception to the rule. And we see that in our free Facebook group. We see it in the, the groups that we run. We see it in other groups ar around the internet. And it can happen in person at, you know, at events like uh, TCC IRL. It can happen online whenever you can uh, sort of jump in and enjoy that community and help others out. It's always a good thing. And it, we don't necessarily do it for money, but the universe rewards good deeds and eventually uh, it will help us out. If you're interested in joining the challenge Jen talked about so that you can launch your own funnel or just watch as Jen teaches how to do it, go to jenrobbins.com. That's Jen with two N's and Robbins with two B's or go to wtfchallenge.com. That's WTF as in what the funnel, wtfchallenge.com. I signed up just because I want to check out Jen's uh, entire funnel and I want to see all of her email copy um, and study what she's doing. This all starts on September 14th. So jump on that list today. So once again, you're at the end of the show. We want to thank Jen for joining us to share more about her business. And we want to recognize that our intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. And you can learn more about programs like the Copywriter Underground and the Copywriter Think Tank. That's our mastermind group for copywriters who are building six-figure businesses by visiting thecopywriterclub.com. And if you haven't already, would you open up iTunes or Stitcher now and leave a review of the show? Reviews help us get the word out and let us know that you appreciate the in-depth information that our guests share each week. So uh, open up iTunes and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club yeah, can make you lots of money. Listen to the Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money as long as you listen through the whole day.